Thanks for tuning in to listen to the Drosh for this week's Parsha reading. Stay tuned after the Drosh for details on how to stay in touch with this ministry and keep up with all of our content. I hope you enjoy the message. Good morning so far. Good morning. So far. <laughs> it was a comment, it wasn't a salutation. <laughs> but good morning. I already said that. I already did that. Uh, our portion starts off with another perspective on the Moedim, God's appointed times. And it begins with us reading about Pesach, and that's what we just read from the Bema. And of course, Pesach is the first of the yearly Moedim. It's the first one in the year, other than Shabbat, obviously, in Vayikra, Leviticus 23. The Sabbath is listed as the first Moed, and it's persistent, it's weekly. The rest of the seven are once a year. And Pesach, of course, is the first. Here, however, in Bobby Bar chapter 28, we're given the offerings that are supposed to be offered on these high days along with the regular offerings. And so that's the purpose of going through the seventh Moedim here, is to give us the other offerings, special offerings that are offered on those days. And these offerings go along with the daily offerings. We already read about the daily offerings in the book of Shemot, Exodus, and Leviticus. We read about those already. But here Abba is adding to the number of the offerings, special ones, for each of the high days. And they were to be done seven times during Passover. So every day they were offering extra offerings next to the Olat Tamid, the continual burnt offering. In other words, there was to be a burnt offering every single day. A lot of people don't realize that. <clears throat> offerings were going on all the time because you had the regular ones that the Kohanim did because God told them to. And then you had supplicants bringing their prayers and petitions and and seeking forgiveness or seeking restitution from a brother or with a brother or seeking just to offer God a thanksgiving offering or seeking to make peace. That's what a Shalomim offering is. So you had offerings going on all the time and then adding to that during the high days these others. We understand of course that Yeshua is our once and final offering for every single situation. including our high days. It doesn't mean that we should should not observe them, and that's how a lot of people take it, is that since Yeshua is the final sacrifice, they don't have to observe the high days. The high days weren't about the sacrifices. The high days were about communion with God when he had it in his appointment book. The sacrifices were how you got to God. They were, they were, they were what enabled you to stand before a righteous God. Right? And it's still the same today. So we can only stand before the righteous God by confessing Yeshua, which is why that's the first thing we do. After we get up there and sing and worship and try to get our, heart in a, our hearts into a worshipful 
uh, state of mind, then the first thing that we always say is, who gave us his son. Right? So, Christianity tells us that we should not observe the high days. And at the same time, they create other high days, like Sunday and Christmas and Easter. And I'm not picking on Christianity, I'm just trying to show you a contrast. It's, a, it's, it's hypocrisy to say that we're not supposed to observe any high days, and then have all these high days that you observe, that are not in Scripture, that God did not command. They have Sunday, Christmas, and Easter, and Halloween, and that's that's for the Protestants who think they've broken away from the Pope and don't realize they're still following the Pope because they're observing all these things that the Pope's established. And then you add to that for all of the, the more liturgical, the more Catholic denominations there are many that a lot of people aren't aware of. They have All Saints Day, and they have a day just about every day of the year. You know, they have a whole bunch of days that they set apart as days of worship, and they ignore the ones that got that came out of God's own mouth. But what I'm trying to point out is that it means that our observation of those high days should be through the acknowledgement of Yeshua and recognize that He is our offering. He's the reason that we can come together and worship together and call out on the name of God and not be struck down. And, and not be ignored by God, to be heard by God, to have our prayers responded to. And I'm telling you, we're seeing that, but we're not storming the ramparts like I want to. Anybody? Wouldn't you like to have more success? Yeah. That's what we're striving for. So we assemble on the days that God said to assemble, and the reason that we do that is because we do have offerings to bring. Everything we do in here is an offering, if we're doing it in the character of, for the sake of, and by the name of Yahweh Yeshua HaMashiach. That's why we're here. And everyone should come in with that attitude of serving God by serving the brethren. And I'm going to sing Jim's praises. He doesn't want me to. He'll turn red and leave crying. But we'll sing his praises anyway. The man corrects himself. Even if he'll, he'll observe. And if he does it differently than I do, he makes the correction himself. I don't even have to have the time to ask him. Because he wants to serve God and do it right. He wants to, he wants to bring an unblemished offering before God. That's the proper attitude to have. We didn't have that in the past. And we had it in slices in the past. And then the enemy comes in and destroys it. And I don't want to go through that again. We read in our portion the requisite offerings for the season of Pesach. I'm going to read it again. Same thing I read from the Hebrew and what Jim read from the English. And in the first Chodesh, on the 14th day of the Chodesh is the Pesach of Yavah. And on the 15th day of this Chodesh shall be a Chag. Seven days shall Matzot be eaten. In the first day shall be a Mikra Chodesh, a sacred assembly. You shall do no manner of servile work, but you shall present an offering made by fire and Olah, a burnt offering unto Yavah. Two young bullocks, 
one ram, seven he lambs of the first year, they shall be unto you without blemish. So the, the Olah was multiple animals. And this is from Bamibar, portion in 28. Verse 20. And their mincha, which is a meal offering made of bread, fine flour mingled with oil, three tenth parts shall you offer for a bullock, and two tenth parts for the ram. A several tenth part shall you offer for every lamb of the seven lambs, and one he goat for a chattat. So to all those other bovines, we add now a goat, one goat for a sin offering. And if you've ever wondered how Yeshua can be our chattat, when the chattat is, is offered on Yom Kippur, here it is. And I've talked to you about the spiral of time and how if you stretched out years over a, over a helix, then and each side of the helix is six months, then the, the feasts, all seven of them, were going to overlap. Right? There is a relationship between Passover and Yom Kippur. All right? They're not independent from each other. All right? And so there is a hatat offered on Pesach <coughs> to make atonement for you. Kapar. All right? It's not the Yom Kippur atonement. It's the atonement so that they can worship on Passover. Because guess what? After Yom Kippur, they left and they went and sinned again. Right? You shall offer these beside the Allah of the morning, which is an Allah to be. So apart from the daily continuous burnt offering, all of these were to be offered. After this manner, you shall offer daily for seven days the food of the offering made by fire of a sweet savor unto Yahweh. Isheh reach nichoach la Yahweh. I've taught you this before. You could accidentally read that. A wife with a beautiful aroma for Yahweh. If you, of course, if you read the Song of Shlomo, you know that she puts her perfume on, right? And she gets her bed ready and she makes it nice for her husband. And of course, this is this is talking about the burnt offering, Ishe being fire, spelled only in this context. Everywhere else you see fire, it's spelled just Aleph Shin. When it's talking about these burnt offerings and these other offerings that are a picture, it always looks like life. So every day there's a continual burnt offering. And then on night 14, there was the Pesach itself. So that began, that Passover lamb began. And that is offered in everybody's homes before they come to the temple to offer all the other ones. And we see that fulfilled in Mark 14, just a chapter or two after where we read in our Greek Hadashah, and it says, On the first day of Matzot, on which the Yudin sacrificed the Pesach, his Talmudim said to him, Where do you wish that we go and prepare the Pesach for you to eat? And he sent two of his Talmudim and said to them, Go to the city, and behold, you'll meet a man carrying a vessel of water, follow him. And wherever he enters, say to the owner of the house, Our master says, Where is the guest chamber where I eat, may eat the Pesach with my Talmudim? And he will show you a large upper room furnished and prepared. There, make ready for us. That guy sounds like he already knew. Yeah. Either that or he prepared it for his own family and he said, nope, y'all can have it. One way or the other, right? Yeah. 
And his town indeed went out and came to the city, and they found just as he had told them, and they prepared the Pesach. Right? We talked about it in our Torah study just a couple of weeks ago. The issue it is the manna. Came down from heaven. That manna represented him. And one of the major jobs of the manna was to set the clock of the Sabbath. Right? So Yeshua is our clock. This is why our feast days are going to be different than most people. Because we follow the clock that Yeshua set. He observed the Sabbath in the synagogues of the Jewish people in the first century Galilee and in the temple in Jerusalem. And what I'm, what I'm, the reason that I'm saying that is because there are people in the Messianic community today, and I've seen it multiple times in the last two weeks, that believe that the Sabbath is lunar. And so it moves. It's not on, it's not on the same day of every week. They're not following Yeshua because it says that Yeshua met in the Beit Knesset of the Jewish people every week on Shabbat. And that Sabbath, the first century observance of Jewish people, is firmly established by multiple thousands of historical records that they met on Friday night to Saturday night, that that was the Sabbath. So that's the first thing that we nailed down. Our Sabbath is Friday night to Saturday night. And then, Yeshua, we read, we just read where Yeshua sent his Talmudim to go and prepare the Pesach, and they went and prepared the Pesach. That meant they went and killed the Passover lamb to eat. And if you read the following scriptures, they went in and ate that lamb, and that's in three books. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all detail the very same thing. Very same story. John doesn't detail it because he wrote it much later, and they had all taken care of it. John goes into the deep details of the meal itself. He doesn't recount the setting up of the meal, but three different witnesses do. Proving. And all three of those witnesses, plus John, prove that our Jewish people did move the Passover. They moved it. Because they didn't offer the lamb until 3 o'clock the next day. They didn't have their Seder until nightfall the next night. That's why they were taking Yeshua off the tree. It wasn't the ordinary Sabbath. It was the high Sabbath of Passover. According to Jewish pharisaical counting, which was unbiblical, proven by Yeshua, he already had his Sabbath. They didn't recognize it. They didn't recognize it. The only feast they moved, Passover and Chagmatzot. That's it. Until... After Yeshua rises from the dead, they figure out, oh shoot. If we do it that way, it points to him too clearly. So then they move the first old mare and shovel. Shemai acrobatics, huh? Yep. Yeshua confirms for us when and why we still keep the Passover Seder. Like we read about in 1 Corinthians 5, chapter, chapter 5, verses 7 and 8. Clean out therefore the old leaven, so that you may be a new lump, that you can be matzot. So just like Yeshua was matzot, unleavened bread, he expects us to be matzot, symbolically, unleavened bread. In other words, we're not walking around living a sinful life. 
We're not following anybody but our true rabbi, which is Yeshua. For our Pesach, our Passover lamb, that's what that is saying, is Mashiach, Messiah, who was sacrificed for our sake. Therefore, let us celebrate the Chag. You can't get more Jewish. Paul is talking to these Greek believers in Corinth, and you can't get more Jewish than that. Let us celebrate the Chag, not with old leavening, neither with the leavening of evil and bitterness, but with the leavening of purity and kedushah, holiness. And in our portion this week, we just read that there was another offering offered during Passover seven times. One ego for a chatat to make atonement for you. We, read, we just read this and we read it every week. For he who did not know sin, for your sakes, he became a chatat, a sin offering. It does not say he became sin. He became a sin offering, a chatat, that we may through him be made. It's a of Elohim. So, every offering that was given in the temple was given as a shadow of some facet of Yeshua's ministry. Everything that we go through, every reason that we have to come before God is done through, by, for, because of, and in the name of Yeshua HaMashiach. And the scriptures say so. Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 23. It is necessary, therefore, that the patterns of things which are heavenly should be purified with these. That's talking about the earthly sanctuary. That's the pattern that is fashioned after the model in heaven. God's throne room and his, where, where real stuff goes on, where it actually goes on. Are you with me? The heavenly things themselves with sacrifices better than these. And if you read before that, he's talking about the lambs and the bulls and the goats. So those were necessary for the earthly tabernacle, but for the one up in heaven, those won't do. For Mashiach has not entered into the Beit Hamikdash made with hands. Do you realize that? That beautiful, glorious temple sitting there. Even though we read about it, that's why. I'm, that's why. Our translation has all these bizarre different terms. You're going to see Hechal, Mikdash, Kodesh, Kodesh HaKadashim. You're going to see all these different terms because each of those represents a different place. And Hechal, which gets, is the best word for it in English, is really temple, is talking about the whole thing. And Yeshua did go into the gates of it, and probably all the way up to the altar. Although I don't know of a verse that actually says he went that far. But he may have. I'd have to check. But he never went into the building. Only the priests go into the building. That sanctuary that I have on my desktop. Only the Kohenim go in there. Yeshua never went in there. But he went in one that's better than that. Right? He entered into heaven itself to appear before. Lifne. In front of in the face of God for our sakes. That's what frustrates me about people going around saying Jesus is God. Because it makes people think that 
That's it. They've kicked God off his throne and put a Jesus on it. And our Yeshua would never do that. Our Yeshua worships his father. Right? And he stands before him for our sakes. Not so that he should offer himself many times, as does the Kohenat Adol, who enters into the Beit HaMikdash. That's talking about the actual holy place. Mikdash, from Kadash, holy. It takes the verb Kadash to make holy and turns it into a noun. That mem on the front of it, Mikdash. Every year with the blood which is not his own. And if not so, then he would not have, then he would have been, let me back up a little. Not so that he should offer himself many times. And if not so, then he would have been obliged to suffer many times from the very beginning of the world. But now, at the end of the world, only once, by his sacrifice, did he offer himself to abolish sin. To be our hatash. And just as it is appointed for men to die once and after their death and judgment, so Mashiach was once offered to bear the sins of many, so that at his second coming he shall appear without sins for the salvation of those who look for him. So we are to come to God on those days. Though we cannot do so in Jerusalem, that's why we don't go to Jerusalem. The first reason is there's not a temple there. The second reason is it's too damn expensive. Even if there was a temple, I don't think I could afford to go three times a year. <laughs> <laughs> these are once and final offering for every circumstance there were offerings if you remember we just came through Shavuot Exodus and Leviticus we're about to come upon the offerings in our Thursday night studies in Exodus and then Leviticus goes into more detail and there were offerings for specific sins there were offerings for specific days like we just read about there were offerings for simple thanksgiving, there was offering for reconciliation, peace offerings, offerings upon offerings, you know, and Yeshua is every one of them. So when I read the Torah, people wonder how I can dig in those repetitive words. It's because everything I'm looking at has something to do with my Messiah. Every single word in there has something to do with my Messiah. Every single letter, every single piece and part of a letter has something to do with my Messiah. And God has hidden it in plain sight. And people don't want to look at it. Hebrews 13, 10 through 16. Just to shore up that idea. We have a Mizbeah, an altar, from which those who minister in the Mishkan have no right to eat. Let's set the context of these scriptures just a little bit better. This is Shaul, Paul, writing to Jewish people, probably in Jerusalem, if not at least in Judea. It's called Hebrews for a reason. It was written to Jewish believers. Alright, and the whole purpose, I'll say it again, the whole purpose of this book, which a lot of Messianic people throw away, is to tell the Jewish people, take your eyes off the rabbis. Don't look at that temple. Don't weep over the temple when it's destroyed. It's about to be destroyed. It is, he said it in the book, in Hebrews. It's going to go away. 
That ministry, that priesthood is passing away. He didn't say it was gone. He said it is passing away. They knew that war was about to happen and the temple would be destroyed. And he's telling them, put your eyes on the ministry above. And he's saying of the priests and the rabbis, they don't have a right to eat from our altar. That is huge. Those priests who still, when Paul wrote this letter, were going in every day and offering these offerings, and going in once a year on Yom Kippur to offer blood, and weren't getting their miracles after Yeshua died and ascended, right? Every year before Yeshua died and ascended, they got their little miracles telling them they'd been forgiven. The last 40 years of the temple, Josephus tells us, that didn't happen. You think it clicked in Josephus' mind? I think maybe it did. There's some people that think he became messianic, but there's a lot of trickery that went on with it too. Yeah. But nonetheless, they don't have a right to eat of the altar that we go to. We set up our sanctuary as best we can in similitude to the temple because we are we are when we are reading from right there, we are going up before his throne room at the altar. Yeah. Right? And when we are putting that Torah away, we're basically bidding adieu. To the fellowship that we've had in Messiah when we close that box. That's why we do what we do. I hope you guys understand that and see that. The Pharisees rejected Yeshua. The bulk of the priesthood rejected Yeshua. Yesterday's rabbis who wrote all of the Talmud rejected Yeshua. Today's rabbis rejected Yeshua. They can't go before our altar. For the flesh of the beast whose blood is brought into the Beit Hamikdash by the Kohen Hakadol, the high priest, for sin is burned outside the camp. Therefore, Yeshua. So the beast that was offered as a chatat was taken outside the camp and burnt. And Yeshua. I will read this first. Therefore, Yeshua also, that he might consecrate his people with his own blood, suffered outside the city. However, his suffering began inside the city walls. This is not talking about his flesh and blood. His flesh, I should say, is so much as it is his soul, which was in his body as it was suffering. Are you with me? He was put outside the camp. He was a burnt offering. That's yes. symbolic of going into the lake of fire. Yes. On our behalf. Yes. God gave us pictures. I don't understand. I don't pretend to understand it. I'm not. God has not taken me there and shown me anything, and I don't believe He's shown anybody. Paul went to the third hell. All right? Nobody's been in the hell. Nobody comes back from that place except Yeshua. Right? Let us go forth, therefore, to meet him outside the camp, bearing his reproach, outside the ministry that is in Jerusalem, outside the rabbinic community. Does that say that they, that they are condemned and wrong? No, it says the authority has been shifted for off of them. That's why they hated Yeshua, is because he spoke with authority. Every other rabbi that teaches says, Rabbi so-and-so, usually their rabbi or some rabbi they're reading, says, and then they make their conclusion, Yeshua, who was called rabbis by rabbis, by the way, 
And the only one called rabbi, actually called rabbi in the Bible. Yeshua only just said the words. <laughs> he didn't have to quote a rabbi. He is our rabbi. He is the word of God. His DNA is that printed word. For we, for here, we have not a permanent city. Again, Jerusalem is going away. We don't have a permanent city. We seek one to come. By him, therefore, let us always offer the sacrifice of praise to Elohim. There is our sacrifice. Praise. That is the fruit of lips giving thanks to his name. You want to make an offering? Sing to Yeshua. You want to settle a dispute between you and a brother? Just start singing praises to Yeshua. Call his name. Lay your hand on him like they laid their hands on an offering to transfer sin on to. Be with me. And do not forget mercies and fellowship with the poor. That's the word for communion there, by the way. Fellowship with the poor. For with such sacrifices, Elohim is well pleased. Yeshua's suffering was brought about primarily by the Pharisees, the religious class of Jews, who still have a stronghold on today's Jews, including most Messianic Jews. They didn't act alone. Rome acted with them, just like Psalm 2 says, just like the book of Acts chapter 4 says, quoting Psalm 2, kings of the earth have revolted and they've taken counsel together against Yahweh and against his Messiah. And then they go on and say that they have executed his son. <clears throat> In our brief Hanashah portion, Yeshua gives us a mashal. Mashal is known to most people as a parable, but a better word would be a proverb. That's actually the name of the book of Proverbs, Mishli, Mishle Shlomo. Proverbs, Mishlim of Solomon. But a proverb, like we saw last week, the mashal of, ba of Bilam. Is also a prophecy, right? So Yeshua gave us this mashal. A man planted a vineyard and fenced it all around, and he dug in it a wine press. He built a tower in it, and then he leased it to the laborers and went away on a journey. And most people think that just this is just a cute little story that Yeshua made up to make a point. He was prophesying, and he was he was putting it in the Pharisees' face. They recognized what he was talking about as soon as he started talking. Because he's basically rebuilding the song out of Isaiah 5. Verses 1 and 2. Let me sing of my beloved, a song of my beloved, touching his vineyard. Listen closely to this. Do I need to read what I just read out of the reading on the shot again? Or do you remember? My beloved had a vineyard in a very fruitful hill. And he digged it, and he cleared it of stones, and he planted it with the choicest vine, and 
built a tower in the midst of it and hewed out a vat, a winepress, therein, and he looked that it should bring forth grapes, and it brought forth wild grapes. Matches almost perfectly what was said in our brief Hadashah in Yeshua's parable. He planted a vineyard, fenced it all around. It doesn't say that, but it does later. I'm going to get to that. It does, Isaiah 5 does bring, bring up the fence that Yeshua talked about. Fenced it all around, dug it in a wine press, built a tower in it, all the same stuff. And Isaiah goes on and says, And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge, I pray, between me and my vineyard. I will break down the fence thereof. And it shall be trodden down, for the vineyard of Yahweh Tevaot is Beit Israel, and the men of Yudah, the plant of his delight. One nation, Israel and Yehuda. They had parted in the days of Isaiah, and Isaiah was predicting the destruction of the northern kingdom, but he's addressing them as one nation, and it is a single one vine. That is critical to understand, especially when I wrap up this idea of the vine. Are you with me? He looked for justice, but behold, violence. For tzedakah, for righteousness, but behold, a cry. Therefore, my people are gone into captivity for want of knowledge. Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that change darkness into light and light into darkness. Daniel prophesied that the, the Mashiach HaSheker, the false Messiah, would overturn the, the feasts of God. Did he not? He said it will change the seasons and the times, the Muadim and Zmanim, the times of observances and the appointed times of God, and he would do away with the Torah. The rabbis have done away with the Torah. They know how dangerous that is, so what did they do? They just piled it under a thousand books that you have to read before you get down to it. So by the time you get to reading the Torah, you have all this man-made junk that is already fixed in your head, and if you read the Torah, you believe it through their eyes. All right? Christianity has done the exact, the exact same thing. A guy named Tertullian, who's come up a lot here lately, said it. Pretty sure it was him. The Torah is just allegory. It's not history. It's not meant for us. It's allegory. It's just got nice little parables in it. And so people don't read it. And if they do, it's for convenience sake and out of a morbid curiosity for something that they might have heard and not seeking truth. Getting their truth from the popes and everybody else who has declared the same stuff ever since, even the Protestants. That's darkness. Exchange the truth of God's word for men's doctrines. That's darkness. Turn light into darkness, change bitter into sweet, and sweet into bitter. They take men's judgmental ways of interpreting the Torah and replace God's sweet Torah with their junk. Are you with me? Woe unto them that are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. They are some smart people, every one of them who do it. 
I'm not talking about just the Jews. I'm talking about religious people who do these things. You know, Tertullian was a brilliant man. Uh, Augustine was a brilliant man. Uh, I, I could name it. You know, if I can think of them in time, I don't read them about them anymore. It's been 25 years since I studied these men, but they were brilliant men. Lost his blind guides, leading people into darkness. Prudent in their own sight. Woe unto them that are mighty to drink wine and men of strength to mingle strong drink, that justify the wicked for a reward and take away the tenacata, the righteousness of a right of the righteous man from him. Of course, that's ultimately what they did to Yeshua. Because they, and it had to be done, but they were the tool to heap our sins upon him. Right? <clears throat> because they have rejected the Torah of Yahweh and shown contempt for the word of the Holy One of Israel. That's why they did it. Specifically about the religious leadership of our Jewish people. And the perishing, the Pharisees, they knew he was talking about them. They knew it. They responded this way. They wanted to seize it, but they were afraid of the people for they knew that he spoke this mashal against them. They knew it. They got it, I believe, as soon as he started talking about a vineyard. Because they were the they were the religious leadership of Israel. <coughs> Yeshua went on with his parable and says, In due season, he sent his servant to the laborers to receive some of the fruits of the vineyard, but they beat him and sent him away empty. And of course, in Isaiah 5, it said, He looked for justice, but behold, violence. Right? And again, Yeshua says, He sent them another servant, and they stoned him also and wounded him and sent him away in disgrace. And again he sent another, but they killed him, and he sent many other servants. Some of them they beat, and some they killed. They killed the prophets. Our Haftarah portion is about Eliyahu running for his life because they killed all the other prophets, and Jezebel said she was coming for him. They killed the prophets of God. Obadiah had 50 of them hidden in a cave. They must have found them. Eliyahu thought he was alone. God happily told him that there were 7,000 7, others in Israel who had not kissed Baal. But he thought he was alone because they were killing prophets. Do you see? This is in the sacred nation of Israel that had the temple. And the king of Israel is married to, a, quite frankly, a harlot and a, a pagan priestess. And she corrupts all the priests of Israel. And all the prophets of Israel make them, makes them prophets of Baal. And you've got 7,001 people in Israel worshiping God. I've been lamenting a little bit like Eliyahu, I confess. The fact that we have such a small footprint and so few people to associate with because we worship so differently than everybody else. Yes. 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 We can't even, I can't even get fellowship with Messianic people around this city just because we say they and 
with some of them just because we don't do Passover with Yeah. They get excited to meet me until I say his name. Where they find out that I'm not going to observe Passover with But finally, he had a very beloved son, and he sent him the last of all, for he said, they might feel ashamed before my son. But the laborers said among themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. And they took and killed him, and threw him outside of Benjamin. Now Yeshua is clearly the son of God. Right. He is the one in this parable that he's talking about. And he's still alive. But he knows that they are going to come for him. We just saw that they wanted to seize him. Right? Why he had already declared that he was the Son of God. That is why they wanted to kill him. It's because he was the heir. What does that mean? Theirs was not the authority. The rabbis did not have the authority. They tried and could not do the miracles that Yeshua was doing. That's why Nicodemus came to him. Remember that? He's going around not quoting any rabbi, just quoting the word of God and out teaching all of them and drawing throngs of people to himself. And he's driving them bananas. But ultimately, he's going to take the authority from them by rising from the dead. He'd already taken it from them, they just didn't know it. Messiah was known. When I, when I say that, I mean generally in the first century, and I think I've said this recently, the Jewish people knew that the Messiah would be called the Son of God. They knew it. They don't say that anymore because Yeshua has declared himself to be the Son of God. But back then they knew it. And in the book of Mark, in about chapter 3, demons declared that he was the Son of God among hundreds if not thousands of witnesses. And that happened more than once when Yeshua encountered the demon and they'd start saying, you're the son of God. And he's like, shh, be quiet. The word was getting out. Matthew and Luke, the other two gospels, they have this same parable in them. In Matthew is in chapter 21. And before Matthew chapter 21 and chapter 14, Yeshua is confessed as the Son of God. So they already knew it by the time he spoke his vineyard parable to them. Luke 20 is where the vineyard parable is. And in Luke 4, 41, Luke recounts that devils called him the Son of God. Right around the time that he stood in, from the synagogue, by the way. That was when he preached in his own synagogue in Adam. Right after that. But before that, Yochanan, as I said, he was recording a different version of the Gospels because the other three had already done a chronological, whole sort of wholesale story of Yeshua from birth to death. Yochanan was more focused on his ministry and his identity. All right, But nonetheless, he records the most important event about him being the Son of God. And it's in Yochanan chapter 8. In verse 30, he had said, I and Abi, I and my father are unified. 
Echad, which is where we get the word Yachid. When you talk about a father and a son being unified, it's Yachid. It's like Abraham was Yachid with Isaac. Jewish people know this. All right? This is, this is important for the identity of Yeshua and understanding why we say what we say about Yeshua versus the rest of the believing world who believe in Jesus, why we don't say it that way. Are you with me? They took up stones to stone him. And of course, I didn't put it in here, but they said, Yeshua asked them, why are you stoning me? Is it because of the works I did? And they said, it is not because of the good works that we stone you, but because you blaspheme. For while you are only a man, you make yourself Elohim. And of course, a lot of people take this and say that Yeshua is God. All right? Because the Jewish people standing there said, you make yourself Elohim because Yeshua, all he said was, I and my father are unified. Aniva Abi Echad. That's what it says. One. Yeshua said to them, Is it not written in your Torah? I said you are Elohim, which is God's. Or you could you could look at this as being prophetically talking about Messiah, but it's not. Even if it is, you could look at it and say that. But the word Elohim is God's, plural, in this context. If he called them gods because the Devar Elohim, the word of God, was with them, and the scripture cannot be broken, why to the one whom Ha'av consecrated and sent to the world do you say, this is Yeshua talking to the Jewish people, the Pharisees, why do you say, you blaspheme, just because I said to you, I am the Son of God? Are you with me? He didn't say he was God. He said, I and my father are one. And by saying that, he says, I said I'm the son of God, and they understood it. Everybody got that? Does it help a little bit? Absolutely. Our Jewish people knew that Yeshua was God's heir. Heir to the throne of the messianic kingdom, and the one with the authority to interpret the scriptures. If you, come, uh, if you are ministering to a Jewish person, one of the first things they will tell you, Shelley, I don't know if you ever did it, but one of the first things they will tell you, only the rabbis can interpret the scriptures. You never said it, but Jewish people do. You experience that? All right. Yeshua was the son of God. He didn't need a rabbi to teach him the scriptures. Matthew 23, he said to the Pharisees, because of this, I am sending you, Nebuchadnezzar, he's talking to the Pharisees, I'm sending you prophets, wise men, and scribes. And that is all of his apostles. That's what sent means, sent ones. Shlichim. The specific ones that he sent were prophets, wise men, and scribes. They were scribes because they wrote the Brit Hadashah. Through the power of the Ruach HaKodesh. Messianic people today are turning away from the renewed covenant scriptures and going away from Messiah in droves. I just saw another former congregate that did that. Blew my mind. I never would have thought it. Walked away. Not only that, is going around basically cursing Yeshua. It floored me. 
So just a day ago. Some of them you will kill. You'll execute them on stakes, and some you'll scourge in your bank Knessets and your synagogues and pursue them from city to city, so that all the blood of the Tzadikim, the righteous ones, shed on the ground may come on you from the blood of Avel Hatzadik, that's Abel, down to the blood of Zachariah ben Berechiah, whom you killed between the Hechal and the Mizbeah. So, right there, right where that camera is standing, symbolically, is where Zechariah would have killed. The temple door is right in front of him. That's where they killed him. And Yeshua is saying this to the Pharisees of that day. Today's Jerusalem is indeed a sacred city. It is. I'd love to go there, but don't like what I see some of when I get there. I love to see the, the antiquity. I love to walk where Yeshua walked. I love the heritage. I love the land itself. It's beautiful. It is exactly the way the Bible describes it. But it is governed by people who reject Yeshua. Both secularly and religiously. They brag about religious freedom in Israel. And they do have it. Everybody except Messianic Jews. Everybody else is free. Untouched, unscathed Muslims don't suffer the reproach that Messianic Jews in Israel suffer. And people want me to follow rabbis who reject Yeshua. Modern, in, in today's age, Israel was the worst offender in the COVID thing, forcing the vaccines, multiple iterations on their people. Couldn't even, we, Karen, our friend, couldn't even get back home because she wouldn't take the vaccine and flew here. They wouldn't let her back home. They're secular, they're liberal, and they're socialist. Many of the people are very secular and morally loose over there. You have to go to Tel Aviv to see that. We didn't go to Tel Aviv on our, our trip. Some of you did, and you probably saw what I'm talking about. Did you not? Yes. yes. I see nodding heads. The religious authority is still under the role of the servants who ruin the master's vineyard. That's the whole point that I'm making. The religious people in Israel are the ones who persecute Messianic Jews. Secular Jews don't typically care. Because the religious people hate Messianic Jews. Despise them because of one thing. Yeshua. They're still trampling his vineyard. You guys know me. Someone watching, someone who's new may not understand that I don't hate Jewish people. I are one. I'm, I love my mama. I don't hate Jewish people. I'm not following anybody. Jew, Gentile, purple, green, rabbit. I don't care. I'm not following anyone else off of his path. I'm not going to do it. Yeshua is the heir. He's the time clock of the feast. He's the arbiter of our destiny. And I'm not letting go of it. Period. 
Hebrews 12, Therefore, seeing we also are surrounded with so great a cloud of witnesses, and Shul Paul had just talked about all of the forefathers in the Tanakh, in the Old Testament. He quoted, devotes a whole chapter in a letter to the Torah, but Yeshua threw it away. All of chapter 11 is basically a little mini Torah. And then he says, seeing we are so surrounded with a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. And let us look to Yeshua, who is the beginning and the end, the beginning and the perfecter. I think the word there might be Meshalem, which is comes from Shalom, which is Shalom, which is perfection, which is fullness, which is completeness. It's done. He is the beginner and the ender of our faith. If somewhere in the middle you turn away from Yeshua to any degree, you are off track. I'm clinging to him until the end. And if it offends everybody and we're in here alone, it's just us, fine. Right? And who because of the joy which is in front of him endured the state suffered shame and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of Elohim. Paul said it again. See therefore how much he has suffered from the hands of sinners, from those who were enemies of their own souls. If you reject Yeshua, you hate yourself. Lest you become weary and faint in your soul. Right? Amen. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to listen to The Drosh for this week's Parsha. In the description, you'll find all the links to our websites and social media content. Please make sure you're subscribed to our podcast, as we can be found on all major podcast platforms. If you feel compelled to support this ministry, please feel free to do so by donating via the Get the Word Out link in the description. All proceeds go toward growing this platform and the Mikdash Mayot ministry. Until the next time, we pray God blesses you with shalom in the name of Yahweh Yeshua Mashiach.